There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we pop our corks, can I ask you a huge favor? If you don't already follow us, would you hit the follow button and give us a follow? You see the three little dots at the top right hand of your screen? Just tap that, hit the follow show tab. It's the first on the drop down menu. And ta-da, that means two things. One, you're never going to miss an episode. And two, it really does help us to bring you the very best guests there are out there. Speaking of which, on with the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a man who, if you're a child in the 80s or 90s, is something of a legend. A radio DJ, a one-time pop star, the host of iconic children's television shows, and the man who, alongside Lamal, made the mullet famous. His first time on air with no previous experience whatsoever was as a 20-year-old in 1982 at Radio 1 covering for Steve Wright. He was, he says, terrified. But he must have said something right because they soon had him back and he joined the station at the peak of its might as their youngest ever DJ from where he's gone on to work for some of the UK's biggest stations. First came London's Capital FM where alongside fellow DJ Mick Brown he had a string of charity hit singles that led him to perform on Top of the Pops many years after first presenting it. Then there was Heart FM, Smooth, and these days, he works at Greatest Hits Radio, hosting their weekend morning shows, as well as DJing at 80s and 90s nights everywhere from the UK to Ibiza, Norway to Dubai. It was whilst working in Norway back in the early 80s that his life changed when he met his wife, Monica, who's been married to for 36 years. And it also marked the first time he set eyes on the distinctive hairstyles of the handsome Viking-like Norwegian ice hockey players. He fell in love with the all business at the front, party at the back hairstyle, bringing it back to the UK, which led him onto a path of instant recognition as a master mulleteer. Having carved out a career in mainland Europe as a pioneer host of satellite TV's first pop video shows, he was also ever present on our UK TV screens hosting Top of the Pops, ITV's rival show The Roxy, and Saturday morning kid shows like What's Up Doc. But it was a decade of soft play fun alongside twin sidekicks Melanie and Martina for ITV's cult show Funhouse that really won him a place in the hearts of the nation. These days, as well as being an 80s and 90s figurehead, he's also a doting grandfather and a father to three very grown-up children. I am really looking forward to talking to him today. So let's dial him up. It's Pat Sharp. 
I'm good. I didn't know whether I should come in there because it was such an introduction, Kate. And uh, I, I just want that on my website rather than the bio I have because it was fantastic. I just thought, did I do all that? That's very kind of you. There's a lot more truth in my intro than there is in your autobiography, Pat. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. No G. <laughs> uh, we will come to your autobiography in a moment. But how are you? Well, it's good, thanks, Kate. It's nice of you to have me on. I mean, there's two things I am going to pick you up on, and one of them is the fact that you didn't mention that on Greatest Hits Radio, I'm only merely there to be the warm-up for your show on a Saturday evening. That's why I'm on. That's the only reason they have me on. So uh, Sundays is like a bit naff. They have me on a Sunday as well, and you're not even on, so I don't know what I'm doing on a Sunday. You're just, but you're just managing the calm-down from the audience of the yeah. Saturday night, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm warming up for next Saturday's Kate Thornton show. But uh, And uh, the other thing is, this is white wine question time with a man who doesn't drink alcohol very often. You don't have to drink it started out as something of a booze fest, but four years in, my liver can't sustain drinking with every show, so you're quite okay. excused. Do You don't drink at all, Pat, no? Not really, no. <laughs> so you're telling me that when you're out doing these, um, these 80s and 90s nights where everyone's absolutely bladdered, you're mm. the only sane, sober man in the room. Absolutely, and I'm the only one who's driving home an hour later as well. I'll drive to Minehead, to Butlins and back, and just do one hour there and then just drive back again, four hours each way. Do you know what? Earlier this year, I had to, I went to a, a, a girlfriend's 50th. Uh, it was an 80s weekender at Butlins. Wasn't I there? The, I mean, I do them all. You were there, so Pat. And oh, good. people's excitement, <laughs> the peak of excitement, all these kind of like 50-somethings roaming around with lanyards around their neck. And it was like, I mean, you have proper hardcore fans. People go nuts for you at those things. I watched some of your DJ set from afar. I was like, wow, Pat, look at you. You're almost <laughs> godlike in that environment. Oh, you're very kind. I mean, I think what it is, is one, I love DJing live, and it's probably my main work these days. And I do a lot of it. I mean, as I say, you, you mentioned at the beginning, I was in Norway on Friday and then Billericay on Saturday. And and uh, the weekend before that, I was in uh, Dubai. And the weekend before that, I was in Ibiza. So I do have some great gigs. But I think you a really lot of... do. I mean, as DJs go, you're probably getting more work than some of the big young guns out there. Yeah, yeah. But then again, the big young guns are just mixing. They're not talking. And uh, I'm speaking into a mic all the time and chucking out t-shirts with pictures of my mullet on it and uh, the, the, re- the reason why people like that is because they have a nice affinity with someone who's done kids tv so I work hard at DJing and I work hard at my live sets but to be honest with you it's all to do with kids tv if I'm at Butlins the guy will come up to me about six foot six and probably I mean width wise he's just a big fan he'll go you made my childhood to which I replied, well, that's probably just as well. And that's uh, really because of Kids TV that people like that have such a nice sort of buzz about me. And uh, it doesn't come from radio or anything. It's just from doing Funhouse. It really is. I mean, every, even if you didn't watch it, you knew about it because there was like three channels at the time. And you were always on one of them. Well, yeah, I think there was four by then. And it was a time when people didn't have social media, a mobile phone, and they were happy with a hoop and a stick, so they thought, oh, might as well watch that. There's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple of blonde twins on there. There's something for everybody. That isn't. Are you ready for your first question? I absolutely am ready for my first pint of wine. Good. <laughs> OK, I want to rifle through your autobiography, which is a spoof. It's called Rerun the Fun, My Life as Pat Sharp. And once you've explained to me why you did a spoof autobiography, I wondered if we could then try to separate some of the fact from the incredible comedy fiction. Are you okay with that? Absolutely, Kate. So the reason why I did a spoof one is because I think I would never have sold enough copies of a real one because I'm not interesting enough. And (laughs) it would have been. No, it's true. It's true. People just gone, oh, well, he did that. Then he did that. Then he got fired from that. So then he went to that one. Then he went to a station that was for a bit older people. And it just would have been a bit dull. So um, I think that the guys I sat down with, the best thing about it is, is that it wasn't my idea. So the guy whose idea it was is a guy called Darren Richman, who's one of the co-writers with mm. Luke Catterson. And I used to drive Darren to school on a rotor with my kids so he was he was you know on the same thing so my kids would go with his mum one day and then with my wife one and then one day with his dad then one day with my and whatever so we took them to school on a rotor and this kid would always I would sit in the car and I would look in the mirror look checking the traffic and everything and he'd be staring at me give me a really odd look never said anything never said thank you for the lift how many years did this go on for Pat many years 
Oh, I suppose, yeah, two or three years, certainly, when he yeah, was about... It's a, it's a long old time, know, yeah. Nine or Did ten, Did you stare yeah. at you? Never speak, never engage? Never spoke, never said thank you for the lift. I used to think, what a rude kid, which is weird, because his parents are lovely, you know? And uh, then when he approached me many years later with the idea of doing the book, he said to me, the reason I never spoke to you is because I couldn't believe I was being driven to school by the guy who did Funhouse. And I, <laughs> and I used to just sit there thinking, all I want to do is go on the show and run through the ball pond and chase the twins and grab the tokens and ride the go-karts, and you're driving me to school. So uh, he came to me to make up for it, I think. Uh, he denies this is true, of course. He says he was very polite. But uh, his idea was to uh, to write a spoof based on, you know, loosely termed the things I've done, but not exactly what I've done and make it more interesting than what I've done. So how did he talk you around on that one? Did it Did it have any appeal in the first instance? Absolutely. I thought, brilliant, autobiography, yeah, because I don't really want to do one. And I, and I had been approached by a publisher to do one based on me and I turned it down. So uh, when he came up with the idea, I thought this would be fun to work on. So I immediately started working on it with him and came up with ideas. So we would sit down and say something like, you know, Funhouse or appearing on Noel's House Party or doing Celebrity Squares with Bob Monkhouse. And then from all those subjects or going on Surprise, Surprise with Scylla, whatever I've done, we took it and then twisted it and made it more fun so that when I could be backstage at the Brits, where I have been, I was obviously grabbing a Union Jack tablecloth as quickly as I could and wrapped it around Jerry Halliwell so she could get on stage really fast and wear that as a dress because obviously that's what happened ish uh, it, well it's not what happened at all but this is what is this book is littered with anecdotes like this but in amongst some of the wildly inflammatory um kind of made up anecdotes there is a semblance of truth and there's I, I disagree I think you are a deeply fascinating man who's been committed from the get-go uh, as a radio head. I mean, you're the kid that used to press play and record when the radio was on, as did I, but I recorded the songs, you recorded the DJ links because you well, were obsessed with the DJs. Yeah. So that's one of the true parts of the book. I genuinely did. I would I would listen to the top 40 and, um, you know, I would think that's a good song, but hang on, wait a minute, he's going to speak about now. Bang, there he goes. And I record that bit, record him playing the jingle into the next song and then press pause because uh, that's the bit I wanted. So, yeah, I think there's a few DJs around. Um, certainly today, who used to do that as well. I'm not the only one, but I was fascinated by that and used to listen back and sort of work my own craft from hearing other people. And I went to America, took my skateboard in 1979 or 80, I think it was, and I took with me um, a cassette radio and uh, a bunch of cassettes and I'd recorded uh, a lot of Capital Radio shows because I always wanted to work there. And I lived in London. And I, I took these shows on cassette thinking, well, I can't be away for three weeks without hearing Capital, so I need to take cassettes so I can at least listen and pretend it's live and, and, and know where I am. I came back with every single cassette taped over with the American radio stations that I heard out there. I completely erased Capital and uh, was taping Rick D's on Kiss FM in Los Angeles and various other stations and came back and heard these guys bathed in echo and they would all talk like this you know and they'd be really close to the mic and but they would be fast and dynamic and they uh, they would just have great things to say and they were just more interesting and and so they were real djs they weren't really presenters they were just djs and that's what i always wanted to be so um i brought it back and eventually you know started working my my trade around over the next five to ten years of going from Radio 1 to Capital. And, and, uh, and you know, I was the only guy who turned the echo up when I was on the air on Capital. And I used to say, you know, banging out the tunes from the top of the Houston Tower when, it, when we weren't at the top, we were actually at the bottom. But the reason why I said we were at the top was because Z100 in New York was at the top of the Empire State Building, or the Gorilla Building, as they called it. So it sounded really cool. So I just kind of built an art on that. And to this day, I have people say to me, oh, my God, I got into radio and I got a job in radio because I listened to you and I loved what you did. So uh, that was that was a great thing for me and, uh, you know, real accolade. But I, I like them, learned from someone else back in the day when I was in America. So everybody gets a twinge of what they do. You know, I'm sure things you've done over the years on TV, you've looked at somebody else and thought, you know, wow, you know, she was good, he was good, I'll, I'll do a bit of that, but make it my own, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, that's like, you know, most people don't go on holiday and then stay in their hotel room taping over radio recordings that they've bought so they don't feel like they're missing out on on the radio back home that's that's not normal holiday behavior pat no it's geek behavior you're right it's absolutely total yeah geek and uh, and i'm fine with that i mean i can remember going out with my pals you know when we were 17 18 and we, we would you know 
get lucky and a couple of girls would say, do you want to come back to our house for tea after lunch? You know, we'd go and have a snack with them somewhere and then they say, do you want to come back to our house? And I would go back and after 20 minutes I'd say, oh, sorry, I have to go because the top 40's on, I've got to take the jingles. And uh, <laughs> these, these girls looked at me and I thought, wow. My mate looked at me and goes, you what? <laughs> Thinking, you virgin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, virgin on the ridiculous. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so listen, so we understand now that basically the kid that used to drive to school came to you many years later and said, let's send up who you are. And in amongst its pages sits a myriad of, of truth and lies. So let's try to separate some of those now, Pat. Noel Edmonds, you claim in the book that Noel Edmonds has a brass door knocker of a lion that's been modified to resemble his own face on his front door. True or false? Well, you'd have to go to Noel's house, as I did many times, because I went to his parties, as in Noel's house party. Uh, but um, even when I went in the door there and I knocked on the door and uh, and he opened it, and um, I, I think what they did on purpose on that show was, I know I'm answering this like a politician by going round and not answering the actual question, but um, they made sure that he was lower down and everybody else was on a step. So everybody looked taller than him, but they were taller than him anyway. So he, he sort of walked in. Uh, I walked in and uh, on crinkly bottom, door and he went yes and I went hello and he went he goes look at your hair and I think my hair was in its most ridiculous stage then which just looked really odd and I think uh, I and I I just had lib because they didn't have a script for it and I just replied well you can talk look at yours you know because his was his was always the same it never really changed it was just coiffured wasn't it, it was beautiful yeah, did you work with Noel at Radio 1 or, or was was he yeah. before your time no he, he was there he was there in 82 when I was there yeah I would be on a Sunday morning and I would finish at 8 hand over to Tony Blackburn and then Tony handed over to Noel after that yeah and uh, people like Lenny Henry and uh, as well so I, I would see Noel coming in but he was more like a god you know to was everybody he? there yeah absolutely and indeed at the BBC when I did Noel's house party and I did that many many times you know you would go there and it, Noel would have his own sort of wing you know it, it was the days as I say the people I've worked you know I've, I've been on with all these people with Scylla with Bob Monkhouse with uh, Noel and uh, and gosh everybody really and they, they were sort of legendary people that um, perhaps we're not going to see again if you know what I mean but, the likes yeah. of which we weren't. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, because the media's changed and sure, there's more have of changed. it. Yeah, there's more yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. But, but in answer to your brass knocker, uh, um, not your brass knockers, obviously, but um, certainly the one on Noel's door, um, I would say that's a. I'll be unlike a politician. I'll give you a straight answer. No, that is a falsehood. Okay, thank you for clearing that. Never up. went to his Can real I ask, house. Did at Radio One when you walked through the doors as as a novice twenty year old, who just sent in a good a good demo tape. Did did anybody extend you the same kindness that you extended me when I joined Greatest Hits? Did did anybody stop by to wish you luck and say, just welcome aboard and hear if you need anything? That's an interesting one because I've always welcomed everybody. I mean, and when Moyles came to Capital as an unknown guy, you know, I, I welcomed him and had him over to our house and he bought his girlfriend and we had a cup of tea and whatever. And he goes, you're the only one that's nice to me, you know, and that's why... I don't know, we remain friends to this day. And um, I don't remember people doing that to me, but I don't have a problem with that because I just went in there thinking, well, I'm not going to be very good anyway. I've never been on the radio, and I hadn't. I'd been around the hospital radio station where I lived, and I'd done some uh, dedication rounds, picking up uh, you know, request slips and stuff, but I'd never been on the air. My first words on the radio were on Steve Wright's show after, after the lunchtime show and going into Peter Powell. I think there was about 16 million people listening at that time <laughs> to, to Radio 1 because there weren't so many local stations. So I just went for it. But I don't think people were very kind to me, no. I think they thought, who's this? gutter snipe this young whippersnapper trying to steal our jobs and they were probably smashy and nicey type era then weren't they where they were sort of thinking we've been here forever we don't want the establishment rocked by this fellow did you have the hair by then no i had hair but not the hair not the hair okay no, no. okay moving on to the next uh, truth or lie okay your first dj gig was in a garden center true or false absolutely false absolutely no i aspire to getting a gig as good as that <laughs> True. Okay, is this true then? You convinced David Hasselhoff to scale the Berlin Wall before before it came down? Obviously not true. Ah. <laughs> I was really hoping that there might be something like that. Yeah, that. I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, me too. <laughs> true or false, you run a production company making jingles and adverts for radio stations very successfully. Yep. About mid-90s, a friend of mine called Mark Seller, uh, who was a clever musician, approached me to, uh, well, 
he was making jingles for me and doing stuff for me while I was at Capital and um, making little weather beds and travel beds that I was playing in and doing stuff with me because we quite like creating imaging. So we thought we'd turn it into a little business. So uh, we started to do that and um, here we are today still doing it. I mean, it's not it's not my busiest thing, don't get me wrong. It's a sideline to what I do, uh, but it's, it's something I, I do like doing. I quite like being behind the scenes. Uh, well, congratulations. I mean, you've been tenacious uh, every twist and turn. You've also worked for some of the biggest networks in the UK. How's that been, bouncing from one network to the other whilst always remaining inherently patch up? Well, to be honest with you, I haven't always remained in... I suppose I have in a way, but equally I've had to change. I can remember going... When I went from Capital to Heart, uh, they started giving away these holidays and my boss came in and he went, hi. I went, hi. He goes, he goes, yeah, you know you just said we are your destination station and you can win the trip to so-and-so. I went, yeah. He goes, just say you can win a holiday. We're not really like that here. So I, I learned to talk to people rather than at them and kind of change from being the DJ that I was to being a presenter. And I think that's held me in good stead for what I do now. You know, I'm, I'm able on, on my shows, on Greatest Hits, to play the tunes, do the top 10 of 10, which I was the first person to ever host the top 10 of 10 back in the, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s on Capital. That's where they got the top 10 of 10 from. Um, and I, uh, I do that as, you know, as a presenter, but also quite DJ. But then after that, I start communicating more and telling people what I've done in, during the week and having a laugh with people and having someone on the phone and having a kid pick a classic song and so on and so forth. So I, I'm much better at communicating now and have been for many decades than I was when I was a DJ. But lots of people prefer me when I was a DJ and say, why don't you play a 1100 jingles in a row and have the echo on and I go because things have changed and if I did do that I wouldn't have the job I do have so it's well it's all changed so much hasn't it I remember yeah. when I first came into the media I mean it was de rigueur that most big DJs had their own helicopter just mm -hmm. everyone had a helicopter did you have a helicopter I didn't know but Foxy did Foxy did have a helicopter Noel Edmonds Noel Edmonds, I think Noel had a helicopter. And Mike Smith, yeah. of course, the late Mike, Mike Smith. Smith. Yeah, yeah, the late Mike Smith, he had a helicopter. So you're right, most DJs did. I was the only one that didn't. Well, also, there was a thing in the 80s where DJs had their names on the side of their cars. Did you <laughs> ever commit that crime? That's like cock piss partridge, isn't it, with the same yeah. thing? <laughs> <laughs> didn't you actually get name-checked on partridge? I did, yeah, I did, yeah. There's a... there's a, <laughs> there, I don't think it was on the telly show... Um, it's in the book. Yeah, it's in his book, Nomad. I think it's called Nomad. And there's a bit about the fact that I, Whitney Houston's greatest love of all, and he starts talking to it, he goes, as played or I don't know. I, I can't remember, but he mentions my name, which is quite an accolade. And my son, my oldest son, Nicky, is very happy about that because he's a big fan. But I digress. So, um, yeah, the, name, <laughs> the names on the side of the car, Kate, are from uh, sponsorship. So if you worked for a, for a small local radio station in Telford or something back in the day and uh, – Ford Telford thought that uh, they could get something out of it. They would say, John Harris is on weekdays, 10, 10 till 2, and it would be like Ford Telford all over his car, and it would be everywhere, and people would see it, and they'd go, oh, look, that must be John Harris. And he'd be going, yes, it is, one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have Pat Sharp written on the side of your car? No, no, no. Someone once scratched something on the side of my car after a gig, but it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> um, your real name, true or false, is Pat Sharpin. Yeah, it's Patrick Sharpin. And apparently I was told that on Friday it was a question in the chase. Which, pers which person is, was for, is, is better known, not better known, which person actually real name is Patrick Sharpin? And, uh, and, uh, and your Smash Hits magazine, they did it as well. They wrote Patrick Sharpin, did a whole thing on me with being Pat Sharp when we had the Pat and Mick records out. So, yeah, it's been yeah. out there and that's fine. And I, and I think because, you know, when I was DJing, Patrick Sharpin didn't sound very good, but I thought Pat Sharp sounded quite cool because all the DJs I knew had very short sort of one-syllable names. They were all like that, you know. There was yeah. Roger Scott, Graham Dean, John Sachs, you know, the, and so on. So, you know, so Kate Thorne, you know. Yeah, see, it doesn't really work, Thornton. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> well, you've got to get rid of your tun because that's where yeah. I got rid of my pin. <laughs> yeah, but then Thorne just sounds so spiky. <laughs> also, of course, I've had the problem, Kate, as well, with the, with the Pat Sharp because people will still... Still, and it happens all the time, either via email or whatever. Can we get Pat Sharp for this date? S H A R P E. So we'll write I back and go, yeah, you know, yeah. please don't put any e on his name because otherwise he'll be Pate. And they go, what? <laughs> <laughs> and that still makes you laugh. Look yeah, at it you. Still makes me laugh. I'm Pate. <laughs> um, you write a lot in the book about the mullet. What is the truth behind the mullet? 
Well, the truth is, as you mentioned in the intro, I I went to Norway, my first ever gig in Norway, where I met my wife, Monica, and it was in 1984. And I turned up and I looked at these guys and all the girls were gorgeous, being Scandinavian, obviously very blonde hair, blue eyes, gorgeous specimens. And I went, wow, this is a great country. But then I looked at the guys and said, I think they're more gorgeous. I mean, look at their hair. It is fantastic. And it's known there as hockey hair because the ice hockey players in the 80s all had this look. And uh, it was, as you say, all business at the front, all party at the back. So, uh, you know, I had a look at these guys and thought, I'm going to have a bit of that. And I thought, what can I do? So I just thought, I just won't cut it ever. And it just started to grow. And it eventually went up and out and back and sideways and birds nesting and uh, it became probably pretty much the most the most well-known mullet in this country. I think it overtook the likes of um, Limal and Peter Stringfellow and Hoddle and yeah. Waddle and uh, even around the world, like Andre Agassi or any of these people who had it. It just became, an, um, you know, I, I've a, my friend was in Nashville recently in a bar and there's a picture of me on the wall <laughs> and, it, and no one knows who I am there. But it's just me and my mullet on the wall and people going, yeah, that's a real cool... He's got a better one than Billy Ray Cyrus. He should be here, <laughs> you know? But, but here's a funny thing. I am about to be made into a uh, a toy and they're making me uh, into a toy. I'm going to show you this so you can see it. That's, that's the, what it's going to be like. And I'm going to be a figure, an action figure... Uh, with my mullet. You can see the back of it. Look, it's yeah, quite... I can see the mullet. Look, look at look that. At that. That's, that's a hell of a mullet even yeah. that. And, and what is the point of this? The point of it is, is that they're doing iconic children's TV presenters, this company <laughs> in Wales, and they've done... Um, who was the... You might know this. Uh, what's she called? Is it called... She was like a, a big woman with was like a witch with a wand. Drop bags. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there you go. Well done. There's so somebody done... at the door. Not here. No, there was. That's what that was her catchphrase. Oh, sorry, the I thought so. There's somebody, <laughs> there's somebody at the door. <laughs> I thought. I thought. Well, my my ring doorbell's packed up, and the dog's not even barking. <laughs> She's um. She okay. was with Rod Hull and Emu. Oh, okay. R.I.P. Well, yeah. So they've made grot bags, and they've made some other ones, I believe. And now they wanted to do my mullet, and they think that it will sell well at toy fairs as a sort of a, a character action figure. So you I know, agree. well, let's see. But um, amazing that you know that you're going to be sort of remembered in a in a toy action figure just for having a bit naff hair really from Norway <laughs> okay right are you ready for your next question now we've cleared up some of the fact from the fiction yeah thank you for that I mean I, that book's been out for a couple of years now it might go back to number 380 now you've given it a mention thank you so much you're welcome small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. OK, 
Okay, your next question. I want to delve into your back catalogue of dinner party greatest hits, the showbiz nuggets, anecdotes and morsels that you serve up knowing that they can hold a table enraptured from across the course of your 40 plus years in the business. And I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to give you the first one. So over to you, Pat. Talk to me about David Beckham. Okay, so this is a good one. Yeah, this is a, well, if we were still back on the book, this would come under the uh, the fact section as opposed to the fantasy section. So okay. I'm at the Nordoff Robbins lunch and Posh, as she was then more posh than Victoria, I think, still known as Posh really, was sitting at a table and they sort of had a lot of people around them. Bex was next to her and uh, she saw me and smiled and then she beckoned me over by wagging her finger like in an Alvin Beckoned Stardust. by a Beckham. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. That's a book. Uh, and um, and I thought, well, don't just beckon me over. I'm just going to sit here. But I didn't. I went. So <laughs> I thought I could I could sit here, but I thought, oh, wait, I'll go over. I went, hi. She goes, hi. I just wanted to say, I was listening to you on the radio the other morning. I was in the bath, and David was brushing his teeth. And you um, you mentioned my autobiography, Learning to Fly. I said, yeah, I just read it. I mentioned it. it was It was good. She goes, I know. You said it was good. And you didn't take the mick out of me or David, and you were just nice about it. And I just wanted to thank you for that. I went, well, it's an absolute pleasure. While I was having this conversation with her, literally, Beckham is just, his neck is extending out to try and get nearer to, like, make me say hello to him, literally, and to be part of the conversation. And um, and I'm just ignoring him, as you do, because he's only the England captain and he's only David Beckham, so why am I going to rush to meet him? Anyway, all I know is is that he's, he's just looking. At, so I, I suddenly just looked around at him and I said to her, I said, who's your friend? And... Uh, <laughs> which was a pretty naff thing to say. But anyway, she goes, oh, this is my husband, David, like that. And I went, hello, mate. Hi, hi. And he goes, fun house. <laughs> and I went, yep, that's right. Fun house. Your first words to me were fun house. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. What about the other moments that would warrant a dinner party anecdote? Because you must... In- encounter that kind of reaction from so many people across those four decades that you've been so prominent and prevalent yeah I guess one one great moment during dinner would be when I did come dine with me and it was it was uh, my turn to cook as I was at our house and uh, on my come dine with me was Michael Barrymore along with uh, Bruce Forsyth's first first wife Anthea Redfern you might remember the one he used yeah. to say give us a twirl Anthea give us a twirl and she would twirl around in her ball gown at six o'clock on a Saturday night. Um, and the other one was Jenny Powell, who, of course, we now work with on Greatest Hits. Yes. And, uh, and I've known Jenny for years, and she's a sweetie. I would think I'd, I'd met Michael an, a number of times, actually. He'd even given me an award uh, for, for a kids' TV award somewhere. And, um, but I'd never met Anthea. And um, during the evening... I think it, the best thing was is that they rolled the cameras all the time. I don't know if you've done that show or not, but uh, I'm not a no. great cook. No. So I was just sort of sitting, you know, watching the other people and thinking, well, I've got no idea how this is going to go. But So I cooked some lamb, uh, like Greek lamb and stuff, and so it was quite greasy, and uh, I got a recipe from a friend who was Greek and, and put it on the table and everything. But I did notice on arrival that Michael had looked underneath the plate on his uh, sort of, you know, area where he was going to sit there, the table looked underneath the plate to see, I think, what make it was, whether it was Royal Dalton or whether it was from Ikea or whatever. And he had a good look at it. So when all the leftovers came, uh, he cleared up and moved them all from one plate to another to another to another and put it all on one plate eventually so he could take it to the um, uh, to the sink for me. And I went, oh, that's very kind of you, but it's not your job. It's my, my night, so I'll do it. And then uh, as he walked to the... To the um, to the sink and stuff, or the dishwasher, he dropped the plate on the floor, and all the leftovers, which is quite greasy lamb as as it is for that that dish, went everywhere, and the plate smashed. And he goes, "I said, oh, everyone goes, what have you done?" He goes, "Well, it's Greek, isn't it? That's the Greek bit. Smash the plates." And I went, <laughs> so that's why he cased that right from the word go, because I think the plates were from IKEA as opposed to Roald Dalton. So he thought well, they won't care if I smash a plate, but he got a great reaction from it, um, as in from the TV company, because they thought that was smashing quite literally and literally, yeah. you know, from there on in, it was the talk of the town, the talk of the night. Yeah. Um, what about royal moments? Because across uh, those four decades that we're looking back on, you must have gripped and grinned with a member of the royal family. 
Absolutely, yes. I've been lucky enough. Uh, I met Princess Diana on a number of occasions. She was the patron of Help a London Child, which was Capital Radio's charity. And she, well, there's a picture of me that I put up quite recently, actually, on on my socials, because uh, obviously when the Queen died, I thought it was quite sort of, uh, you know, respectful to do so. And um, I put this picture up and and Princess Diana was in a line, or we were in the line, and she was shaking hands with us all at the Café Royal for one of the Help a London Child lunches to raise money, which is, of course, what all the Pat and Mick records raised money for mm. when we made our charity songs. So she was always very grateful for that. She used to come into Capital Radio and and uh, and sit and listen to the breakfast show in the studio and even Did come down when, yeah, when Graham Dean was on and, and have a coffee out of a polystyrene cup and everything. Yeah, she's a huge fan of Graham Dean, who's now on Boom Radio to this day. Uh, an absolute legendary, lovely guy, and uh, he did breakfast before sort of Mike Smith and then Chris Tarrant. So, you know, he 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 was he was a great guy and still is to this day. He still does a breakfast show, even though he's in his late seventies. But um, uh, so she would she would you know come in and have a chat. But in the lineup in the in this picture next to me is Nigel Havers, and he had been in some TV show at the time, which was where he was a bit of a, a rogue or a cad or a bounder, one of these sort of Terry Thomas type words, you know, and he'd been a bit saucy, and it was like the princess meets the cad, and it was all like, you know, oh, look, I bet she likes likes to look at him, he's a cool sort of dashing young man, but the funny thing was is that I'm standing right next to him like that, and she's sort of got a hand out, and it doesn't look like she's shaking his hand or my hand, but it could have been me, so I always take that, that I, it was me, even though it was Nigel Havers. <laughs> I love that one thing very much. And um, what about the moment that left you speechless? Oh gosh, um, I don't know. I, I think are we Has ever? It's been a moment that stopped you in your tracks because you always seem to be able to navigate any situation. Um, but there must be moments where you just go, "Oh my god, look at where I am! This is unbelievable. How did I, Pat Sharpin, end up here?" Oh, there's probably been many of those, to be honest with you. But because it's been my job and that's why I was there, I probably just came out with something. So I think I think one of the moments that left me probably not speechless with words but with vocals because I had to sing was when I was at the O2 for the Stock Aching Waterman show where they brought back a load of the acts many, many years later. It must have been about probably about a decade ago now. And it was a Pete Waterman night as a tribute to him and everything. And... Um, I obviously thought I was going there to to host it, and I did a couple of introductions. And then when we, when I came backstage, the guy gave me a different microphone and said, "Right, that's your mic for your song, and you're on next." Obviously, you know what we're going to do is we'll do it in a funny way where someone else will come on and go, "Hey, listen, Pat and Mick, why don't you sing one of your songs instead of presenting?" It is a stock aching Waterman night, and you had five hits with them and raised three hundred thousand pounds. And I went, "I'm sorry," and he said, well, "You're going to go and sing, aren't you?" I said. I'm not standing on stage and singing at the O2. I'm not a great singer. Everything we did with these songs was done in a studio. You know, so much so. Auto-tuned. Yeah, I can remember. Okay, I can remember singing one of the songs. And Pete Waterman came in and goes, yeah, just come next door for a second. I'm going to play you something. Because I had one ear off my headphones like this I'm doing now, yeah? And I was listening and thinking, wow, I sound good. I've got one hand on here. It sounds like Live Aid. You know, I'm going like Band-Aid. And I'm going, I am. What a voice. I went next door. He pressed this button. Every fader went down except for my vocal. And I went, whoa, that's not good that's really not good by itself without all the stuff going on to help me I went back in the studio and he and he came back in again he goes Pat you're gonna have to move back from the mic and I went how far he went how about Edinburgh he goes for God's sake you are awful you know and you know we were having like Jason Donovan and Rick Astley and Kylie coming in and helping out on our songs singing like backing vocals because they were in the building so it was really yeah yeah but when they said to me you've got to go back on stage and not introduce an act not introduce you know, one of these people, but actually sing the song. I said, okay, I'll do it. But I said, I'm just going to mime because I'm not going to sing because it's going to spoil everyone's night. So, and I had to go and mime on stage at the O2. I haven't stopped dancing yet since we met on a first day. And let's <laughs> all chant. And I'm going, whoa. And I can't even remember the words. I'm like, I did it on top of the pops. Obviously, that was the days when miming was what you did. And I went on top of the pops and thought, that was probably another time, more so even perhaps than the live show at, at, uh, at the O2. I would go on top of the pops and think, I'm going to be on top of the pops in 10 minutes. And it's, you know, being introduced by, 
you know, Gary Davis and Simon Bates from Radio One, and they would go, oh, these guys can't dance, and they were ridiculing us, and these guys haven't stopped dancing, but they haven't started yet. Look at them, they're awful. Because they had two Capital Radio DJs who were the, the stars of their show, and they, they didn't <laughs> like it. And, you know, we kept turning up once a year on Top of the Pop, so that was probably more nerve-wracking, Kate, miming and, 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 and kind of twisting and turning. I would do a little spin so that I couldn't be anywhere near a camera, and they couldn't see that I didn't know the words at that stage of the song. <laughs> Brilliant. How many hit singles did you have? Five. I think we had five and we had an album. And when the album was out, this is the best thing, um, we did a song each year and uh, every Easter to uh, coincide with the charity weekend at Capital Radio. So it was quite fun when uh, when Susie, who used to work at reception at Capital Fermi all morning, she goes, your album's here. I went, sorry? I said, I haven't ordered any albums. I, I don't need any new CDs this week from any big bands. I haven't ordered anything. It's all playlisted and I don't need them for my gigs. No, she goes, no, your album's here. It says Pat and Mick on the front. It's an album. It's called Don't Stop Dancing. And I went, but we haven't made an album. She goes, well, I don't know if you've made it or not, love, but your album's here. Do you want me to send it up? (laughs) And I went, what what is this all about? She goes, it's an album by Pat and Mick. You're one of them. Do you want it? (laughs) And uh, so she sent it up, and I saw that we made an album, but they didn't bother to tell me. They'd taken all the singles and all the B-sides and sequenced them as one track. It's the only album I've ever been sent or ever known about that exists where you hit play and it's 46 minutes non-stop. You can't turn it off. There is no track one. There is no getting away from it. You hit start, you got to go all the way to the end. It's a marathon, not a sprint. (laughs) (laughs) And it's called Don't Stop Dancing. You can't. I know. I don't even know if I have a copy, but if I do, I'm going to send you one just for the, uh, do. the hell of I'll it. I'll on my yeah. Saturday night show. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Well, you may have to extend the weekend for your show, so fit it all in. <laughs> I'll wait for a bank holiday, perhaps. Yeah. Um, before we move off this question, are you still in touch with Mick? Yeah, I spoke to Mick in the summer. I saw him in the summer. He was actually hosting a, uh, a festival um, with Carol Decker to Powell and Tony Hadley and I was playing. So it was a bit odd from the point of view that he had to introduce me. So I did my DJ set because I felt kind of a bit odd like that because I think I should, if I was going to do a DJ set and he's there, should be doing it with him really. Yeah. So I felt I felt a bit strange. So, uh, But he was really nice about it and I equally was hopefully really nice about him because he'll always be a good friend of mine. We don't see each other very often, but I suppose it's a bit like riding a bike. You know, immediately you see someone and you just think, well, we did so many great things together. It's lovely. So it's fine. And he's still, he's still hosting radio shows. Radio Jackie, I think it is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, he does Radio Jackie and D-Light Radio, I think. So he does a breakfast show and a drive time show. So oh, I'm, my God. Yeah, I think he must sleep like between 10 and 4 <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then go back on the air. I thought Vanessa Feltz put some shifts in, but he's taking the biscuit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, my third and final question for you. face and voice of the 80s and 90s I wanted to know what from those times you miss the most that are no longer relevant in 2022 or a part of our everyday lives now that you think should be reinstated reinstalled it could be the slow dance it could be having to go to the shops to actually buy a record okay um wow I would have a lot less car washes because they're everywhere and people are very lazy and just take the car into a car wash yeah yeah i really have i mention it all the time on the air i don't like the sprays um my car's my pride and joy and i really i use it a lot for work obviously and uh, the old days you see as you mentioned back in the day if you went to a car wash it would have been just the one within the petrol station where they had the the sort of funny little things that came down and slowly scrubbed your car but of course they just scrubbed the dirt off the previous car so all they were doing was putting that back onto yours I think it wasn't <laughs> ideal or they they ripped your aerial off you know and you would go back in yeah, and hold your aerial yeah you go back and you go my aerial's come off and you'll go what do you want? You know, well, I can't help you. And I would, you know, I understand that, but what can I do? He goes, nothing. You know, and I was like, oh, and I didn't put the air all down in time. So, and it's very therapeutic to get out and spend between, I spend between three and five hours when I wash my car. Would you, would you wash it with your tongue? <laughs> <laughs> Are you licking it clean? No, I go in all the nooks and crannies and uh, I get don't everything. Don't just? Don't I just, yeah. 
and my car loves me for that. But that said, I also like my car when it's dirty. It looks really cool at the moment. It's been on loads of drives and it's filthy and you can't even see out the rear camera. It's just like grotty and wintry and muddy and festivally and everything. It just looks great. I love it like that. Okay, yeah. so so you you take us back to the 80s car wash scenario, which was just a drive-through and less of them. What else yeah. would you bring back or reinstate or take out of today's busy modern life? Oh, well, in that case, I'd just have everyone take away their phones, especially when they're out for a meal or something. Why would you have, why would you have a phone with people? Literally, you've got four people having dinner and there's four sets of cutlery and four phones and they're sitting there and I'm thinking, it's... You know, it's Saturday night, you know, you're out for dinner. Why would you need your phone? You know, you've got everything you need. So you're not a fan of being constantly in contact? No, I quite like not doing it. Quite often I'll take the dog for a walk and I, and I, I, I do tend to take the phone, but I'll put it on flight mode so that I can just listen to Spotify or something and listen to music in my headphones while I walk, but I don't get a call or anything. So it's quite nice. It's just nice to be free a bit. And also to get that fantastic thing when it crops up on your uh, computer or your phone and says, your screen time is down by 3.7 days. <laughs> so it's just... Life was a lot simpler, I think, with a hoop and a stick. And, um, you know, when I go back to the days of recording Funhouse and stuff, it was in the, you know, we started in the late 80s and it ran through the 90s. We would be, you know, we would be there and we, we, we people always say, oh, Funhouse is such a big part of your life. I say, nope, only 10 weeks of my life. And I spent one week a year for 10 years recording the show. And that was it. That right. Is that right? One yep. week. Yep. Seven days, two shows a day. 14 shows, 14 shows is 14 weeks, three and a half months of Fridays on the telly, and then we do another one the following year, and that was it. So it wasn't really the biggest thing. I only took a week off Capital to go and do it. Went to Scotland, recorded it at STV, you know, the ITV in Scotland, and, mm-hmm. and that was the show. So it wasn't the biggest part of my life, but it's the biggest probably impact of my life that people remember. Would you bring back Kids TV as we once knew and loved it? Absolutely. I, mean, I think it's still on, isn't it? There is Kids TV, but it's on satellite channels as opposed to CITV or CBBS and stuff. Well, CBBS is its own channel, I believe. But you It know. is, but I don't think it has the, you know, the appointment. Like, can you remember growing up, everybody watched Grange Hill? Everybody. Yeah, yeah. And if you missed it, you missed out on what was being discussed in the playground the next day. Um, in an on-demand world, I don't know, our kids are watching YouTube. My son does not watch any form of normal telly. Like When mm. I say normal telly, I mean old-school telly. He wouldn't know BBC from ITV or Channel 4, but he knows YouTube and all the streamers. So, you know, they live in very different times, very different yeah. times. People watched Funhouse on a Friday, uh, and it was an appointment to watch. They ran home from school to watch it because mm. many people didn't have even a video recorder to record it on at the start. So, yeah. you know, if you missed it, you missed it, and then you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be in the gang talking about it the next day at school. Exactly, exactly. I mean, they, these were very different times. Were they better times, though? They were simpler times, yeah, but equally there are many things I think today, like, for example, being able to sit where you are and sit where I am doing what we're doing that we like and we couldn't have done that then. So mm. I think I'd miss the technology side of it, but uh, maybe the simpler times and the more freedom that we had was, was certainly more fun. So I'd probably bring back the, the freedom, the hoop and the stick. Maybe, you know, I can remember going out on a summer's night and, you know, I always came back just as it started to get dark. And, you know, my mum would say, oh, my mum and dad would say, oh, hi, are you okay? And I went, yeah, why wouldn't I be? And, and I would never really, I don't think, even when our kids were little, and our eldest is 36, and I certainly, even 30, 30 years ago when he was six, I wouldn't have let him just go up the road at half past eight at night on a summer's night. <laughs> I would definitely uh, have uh, bring back sort of freedom and uh, and easier times where you know even on a Sunday I remember there was no traffic on a Sunday because there was no shops open and nothing there was, was no open. nothing was open you just it was boring day wasn't it but it was okay you, you did God's things day. yeah and now it's like wow Sundays are manic you don't go out on a Sunday it's like crazy every road everything's everything's mm. mad isn't it mm. it really yeah. is yeah. Um, we've talked about the last four decades when you look ahead. How how would you like to fill the next couple of decades that you've got in, in front of uh, you, Pat? Well, I really enjoy what I do. And, um, you know, I think it was quite funny. Uh, the weekend, this girl came up to me um, when I was DJing in Billericay in Essex. And a lot of people were very kind. They came up and they people do selfies with you, as you know, from, from your experience. And it's not even because they particularly want one with you. They just want to be able to put it on their social so they can show somebody they've met somebody or whatever, and I'm sure that's it. But either way, I always take it, and they go, oh, can I do a picture? I go, yeah, of course. Nobody wants an autograph. You never write an autograph. It's all no, about never. doing a selfie. And uh, this guy came out, and she didn't... 
I go, yeah, where's your camera? Because I was working. I said, get your camera ready. Is it ready? She went, oh, they're on a picture. I went, okay. She goes, can I just say to you? I went, what? She goes, do you really enjoy this? Wouldn't you just rather be at home watching telly? And I went, absolutely not. I said, I'll just pop that for an hour. I'm, you know, I think I'm getting paid reasonably well for it. I really enjoy it. Everyone's been really nice to me and I'm having the best time. And I'm 61 years old, so why wouldn't I be enjoying this at my age now? So many people wouldn't get the chance to still be in the equivalent of what I call the Premier League and and having a great time and, and, you know, enjoying it. So why wouldn't I want to do it? She goes... I think it's rubbish. Why would you? She goes, I wouldn't want to be doing this when I'm your age. <laughs> I said, I love it. She goes, yeah, anyway. She goes, I'm having a good time, but it's just I just felt sorry for you. I went, okay. I said, well, really don't. I said, just feel grateful for me because I feel grateful for me. Wow. That's yeah. kind of passive rude. Well, I, I, I'm fine. I, you know, it's fine. I get whatever. Most people are so nice to me. It was just, a, it was her observation. So uh, I would love to carry on doing what I'm doing and do my gigs and be able to, you know, do what I did. Like on Friday night, I went to Norway on Friday and did a really fun gig with Snap and, they, you know, introduced them and they sang the power and rhythm is a dancer. And then I did my DJ set afterwards. And then I ran to the station and got the airport train back and went to the hotel and then got up at 4.30 and came back and then did my radio show and then did my gig in the evening and that to me is a great weekend and we went for a walk yesterday and had a lunch out and had a nice time so it's it's the best I love it so I'd love to carry on doing my gigs carry on uh, doing doing Greatest Hits Radio which I think is, is a really good place for me because I'm working with a lot of contemporaries who I've worked with over the years mm-hmm. and uh, equally you know still on with names and if someone says to me oh what are you doing now what radio station are you on you say Greatest Hits they go oh, I've heard of that yeah yeah and I go yeah and you mention you know your Simon Mayo's and your Paul Gambaccini's and your Kate Thornton's and they go wow I love all those people yeah oh, I remember Jenny and Jackie and this and that and it's just it's just a really good buzz to be on a good station which people like and to be able to do gigs and get lots of bookings and and just be yourself and get out there and 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 entertain hopefully that's what i'm doing you know present absolutely and it's been my pleasure getting to know you uh from through the studio walls at greatest hits and continued success in all that you do pat i hope that we find you in a nightclub at the age of 71 not just 61 (laughs) banging out (laughs) 80s and 90s classics um and please do consider writing an autobiography that's actually based on something like the truth because what a fascinating life you've lived. Oh, thanks, Kate. I will. I will because I'm still taping the jingles, mate. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pat. Thanks, Kate. Thank you, everybody. A huge thanks to my guest this week, the legend that is Pat Sharp. Don't forget you can hear Pat on Greatest Hits Radio every weekend on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And of course, if you want more great chat with more outstanding broadcasters, then get scrolling through our back catalogue where you'll find episodes with Scott Mills, Jane Garvey and Fee Glover, Richard and Judy Fun, Britton, Roman Kemp, Emma Barnett, Sheila Fogarty, Chris Moyles, Eamon Holmes, Craig Charles and many, many more. My thanks to you as always for lending us your ears and to Maria Nibs and the Yahoo Studios team who produced the show with me. Editing is by Eleanor Humphrey and our music comes courtesy of Andy Bell his solo material as well as his work with Ride and Oasis are available now wherever you get your music we'll be back next Friday with more great guests until then thanks so much for your company Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 